0: Welcome to Podability, the podcast for parents and families of disabled children, brought to you by Variety, the children's charity. I'm your host, Dave King. Families with disabled children have been amongst those most impacted by the current pandemic. Worrying about jobs and money is stressful for all families, but it's even tougher if you've got a disabled child to care for at home, particularly if you've lost the support of outside services. The Disabled Children's Partnership report published in September highlights that 39% of families with a disabled child are facing a reduction in income and 61% facing increased costs. One in five said they go into debt as a result. Yet many families struggle to know what financial help they have a right to ask for or where they can go for good financial advice. In today's podcast episode, we're asking What financial relief are families with disabled children entitled to, and how should they go about accessing it? Joining me remotely today over Skype to discuss these questions is Carlos Haggy, who's a member of the expert advice team at Citizens Advice Head Office, specializing in welfare benefits. Carlos brings over 35 years experience as a welfare benefits advisor. Also joining me is Mark Arnold, whose son James has a range of additional needs. Mark is author of the excellent blog, the Additional Needs blog father. Welcome to you both.
1: Great to be here with you, Dave. And you too. Thank you.
0: Mark, let's dive straight in. I know your son, James, who's who's now 18, was diagnosed when he was two. Uh, And so your journey into the world of benefit claims began some time ago before he'd even started school. Uh, What was that like for you? Yeah,
2: it was uh, like for many parents in a similar situation, um, an interesting journey. Uh, When James was diagnosed at two and a half, uh, he was diagnosed as autistic and with uh, learning difficulties at that stage. And uh, yeah, it, it was a whole new world that we suddenly found ourselves pitched into. We didn't know anything. We were as green and rookie as it's possible to be. And, uh, yeah, one of the first things that we started to explore is what help is out there, what help might uh, we and James be able to get that could help him? Uh, And, of course, part of that journey was thinking about what benefits might be available out there as well, Uh, you know, either directly that we could access or that might help him to, uh, you know, be able to, for, for us to find the, the, the right school for him and, and all that kind of thing. he was two and a half. Uh, we were already starting to think about things like preschool. So, uh, yeah, right at that early stage, we were stumbling around and trying to to get, uh, some help, uh, to guide us and sort of help us to, to make some good choices that could, uh, get James off to a good start. So, uh, yeah, it was um, it, it was a challenge, uh, and I guess the yeah you know, the honest truth is that it was uh, a, a challenge that took a while to to work through. That that help wasn't readily easily identifiable. Uh, you know, we had to go looking for it. We had to to hunt it down, and we had to talk to people uh, that we started to meet other parents. Uh, folk that were you know supporting us uh, uh, with james to to get advice and to get ideas about what could be uh, possible and what could be available so yeah it was a it was a difficult
1: start for us really
0: carlos is that something that you hear often from from parents who who are contacting systems advice
1: oh absolutely like as well too in my previous employment for a law center where i did see people face to face um uh, uh people are Obviously, under an enormous amount of stress, like in actually caring for a disabled child, whether that child has got a recent diagnosis or not, and um, so they, you know, they're dealing with a lot of uh, an actual different things, um, and um, trying to find your benefit entitlements is is just one of many things that parents have to deal with. You're dealing with medical professionals as well too. You're trying to get diagnoses. You're trying to get the correct diagnosis, which can take a lot of time as well too. Um, so having to deal with your benefit entitlement, and benefits are complicated. It's just an additional stress as well, too. But it's important to know that there is help that is actually out available um, uh, for you there. Like with regard to citizen's advice, we have public advice pages that can help with that. Um, but yes, Mark, I do fully appreciate the problems that you described.
2: Yeah, and I think you, you've really hit the nail on the head as well in the... Uh, the, the... The range of different emotions and, and experiences and feelings and challenges that families are facing at that time, uh, you know, there's lots to take in. There's lots to adjust to. Uh, you know, people respond uh, to the diagnosis of their child in in a load of different ways, and yeah, you know, trying to navigate their way through, you know, sometimes quite complex and difficult benefits process. Uh, is is probably the last thing that people want to be doing at that time uh, and yet uh, if they are going to get the, you know the the support that they need and the support that their child needs then it's a process that you you have to press on through and try and get through and uh, yeah it's really really tough to be doing that when you're you know emotionally mentally uh, fragile uh, and and struggling with all that you're coming to terms with
1: yes i mean just to um as to follow on that, uh, from that point, Mark, it's a very interesting uh, point that you raised there, because when I was a frontline advisor as well too, I would get parents that would come to me sometime after they could have initially made a claim for disability living allowance, because for example, they had a lot of things they had to deal with, you know, and in a sense, you know, knowing what benefits you can claim is probably the last thing on your mind straight away, you know, in that situation, um, uh, so it's not something the parents would necessarily turn to um, immediately, and they may actually sort of like turn to that a bit further down the line, if you like.
2: Uh, and there can be a sense of uh, even when uh, you know families are starting to think about that, they they know it's going to be hard. They know there's a, a huge amount of complexity there, and um, and it just become something to sort of kick the can down the road a bit with uh, and uh yeah lots of other things that you're trying to deal with and and cope with but there's that sense that yeah this is going to be really uh, hard it's going to be challenging uh, just not ready for that right now and and kicking the can down the road which yeah you know it, completely understandable been there done that got that t-shirt um you know it's it's Long term, you realise that actually you do need to engage with uh, the system and and get the benefits that, as a family, you're entitled to. But yeah, it's there's a rawness and a, an emotional vulnerability that can make that really hard at that moment when, perhaps, it, it, you know, that the time should be for, for those benefits to start.
0: And, and so, what what do you think would be um, your your the best piece of advice for families? Uh, you know. Th- Aside from don't kick it down the road, you know, if you need to engage with it, certainly much more uh, in your interest to do it sooner and get to grips with that. But but where is your sort of starting point for for families trying to do that? I, I think the starting
2: point it has to be to be willing to talk about it and, and talk about uh, you know how people are feeling, uh, but also talking with people that can help to uh, provide that advice and support. Uh, I guess, for families to realise that they don't have to go through this process alone. Uh, so often they think that, yeah, it's down to them. They've got to you know, do all this for themselves. But actually, that's not true. There, there's plenty of people, you know, Carlos and, and, and Citizens Advice Bureau is, is one of a number of organisations that can provide support. But there, there can be other parents as well that have um, walked that path. Uh, and can offer some help and advice and uh, and just to to start people yeah getting engaged with that process which uh, once they start it and, and they've got some support and they know that there's a sort of an end to this process that's going to be really beneficial then uh yeah you know it's it, it's worth going on but yeah talking to, to people and, and and frankly that's that that's the sort of key advice uh, in a lot of Uh, areas where families are new to this because you know we've already been talking about there's a range of things they'll be trying to cope with emotionally uh, mentally you know they'll be thinking about what the future looks like for their child what's going to happen with school what's going to happen with you know life skills life opportunities all the range of things that as a a parent of a newly diagnosed child you're you're starting to think about Uh, and Many families uh, will, in that thought process, go to the worst-case scenario, and that's where their mind will take them. Uh, whereas, actually, if they're chatting that through with somebody maybe that's got some experience, maybe that's tread, uh, trod that path before, uh, then they can start to explore that it, it may not be as uh, as challenging as they think. Uh, there'll be hard times, but you know, they can... Uh, they can see a bit more light at the end of the tunnel if there's somebody journeying with them.
0: And and then of course the the mountain of information to try and process and understand. Uh, and I hope in today's uh, episode we can remove some of those myths and try and streamline and cut to some of the uh, really important bits that families just sort of need to grapple with. Um, Carlos, I wonder maybe start us off from the beginning, you know, families just been diagnosed or the child just been diagnosed and uh, they know they need some support. They know there's something out there. Um, They've heard something maybe about DLA or PIP and they're a bit confused. Where, where would you say they need to start? And how would you talk them through getting, uh, kicking it off?
1: Um, Yes. I mean, it's important to say um, first, um, first off, I think when it's, when it comes to disability living lands, which we'll call DLA, that you don't actually need a diagnosis. Uh, and the actual qualifying conditions are that your child has a mental or physical disability. Um, and so it doesn't have to be diagnosed. And I think a lot of parents spend time waiting for a diagnosis before they make a, a claim for benefit. That's the first thing to say that don't wait until you have a diagnosis. Um, I think as well, too, for a lot of parents, it can be difficult to get a diagnosis as well, to so be we touched on that earlier as well, too. Um, so, yes, I mean, the qualifying conditions uh, with regards to disability living allowance is that um, your child has a mental or physical disability, which gives rise to care auto-mobility needs. And the idea of disability living allowance is obviously financial support, but to enable that child to live as normal a life as possible. Um, now. Um, disability living allowance is not a means tested benefit Um, so they won't be looking um, at what your income is or what your savings are Um, it doesn't depend on you having actually paid national insurance contributions it's available for children um, that um, have physical disabilities um, or mental learning uh, um, cognitive or in fact behavioral disabilities um, as well too Um, In terms of its structure, it can be quite complicated. And I can obviously go into that um, sort of further. But the important thing as well, too, is to make a claim um, as soon as you can, because disability living allowance cannot be backdated. So if you wait until your child has got a diagnosis, you might have missed out on, uh, um, on many months of entitlement. That's
0: really important to note and and to to the earlier point from there, Mark, you know, that there are there must be hundreds of thousands of pounds of support that that are going uh, by the wayside because understandably families are not yet engaging with uh, with that. uh, Carlos, you talked a little bit about care or mobility, and, and that may be a category, two categories that we're not familiar with. Or, you know, so, certainly as parents, I think we see our children's needs quite holistically, and that mm. may feel like an awkward distinction. What do, what do we, what do we mean by talking about care and mobility?
1: Yes, I mean with disability you live with, uh, uh, living now. it does break it down um, um, into two components, which um, is care needs um, and needs with regards to mobility. Um, Now, these can obviously um, um, intercross as well, too. But in terms of the structure, um, um, yes, parents do need to think kind of differently um, from the holistic approach, perhaps. Um, I mean, for example, the care component of disability uh, living in is paid at three different rates. Um, the, The key really is that for the care component that your child has to have attention Um, or supervision needs. Um, Now, I can go into that in a bit more detail because it's not immediately obvious what they are. But one of the crucial things as well to to understand about disability uh, 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 living allowance is that as lots of children, um, depending on their age, um, have care needs, you also need to show that your child has um, needs that are substantially in excess of the child that would normally have of that age, um, or or that they have needs which a younger child may have, but which a child of that age would not normally have. Um, But as I said, the care component can be paid at three different rates. There's different qualifying conditions for those. With regards to the mobility component, there's two different components of that. One is if your child has um, physical problems with regards to mobility um, or that, for example, they're deaf and blind. there's lots of other qualifying conditions, but those are, um, are, are the two possibly main ones. And there's a separate mobility component where if your child needs guidance or supervision um, outdoors in places um, that are unfamiliar to them. So that's not necessarily tied into a physical. Component. And, and the, the
2: the sort of complexity that, that you've just
1: described there,
2: Carlos, you, uh, it, it's very easy to see from that how parents that are new to this, Find that you know the, all these terms start to sort of swim before them and and become uh, really challenging. I you know I personally remember that that moment, that uh, floorboard splitting moment when the uh, DLA application form came through the letterbox uh, and uh, landed with a crash on the doormat, and, and we opened this enormous form up uh i don't know there was 38 or 40 pages of this thing and it was it was huge and we think where on earth do we start with this and you know you were describing the you know the care element and the mobility element and the sections that we had to fill in with that and uh and, and i guess so you know for parents that are filling in the the application form again you know getting some support to do that is is really important because one of the one of the things that uh, I, I know happened for us when this form came through was, yeah, we just sort of put that on the desk for a, a few days and uh, just got started to get our heads around the fact that we needed to go through this form. Uh, and what on earth were we going to say in it? You know, you were, Carlos, describing how you need to uh, identify ways in which your child uh, is uh, different to a typical child of, of that age uh, in in different ways for care and mobility. And uh, and what that can do for parents is it can just open up, uh, you know, all those emotional, mental feelings that they, uh, you know, maybe are just about starting to get used to uh, from the point where, you know, their child either has been diagnosed or is on a path to diagnosis. They, they know that there is something uh, that's different about their child and uh, and now they've got to write in a form all the things that their child can't do uh, and that's really tough uh, and you have to do it uh, and all the advice that I'm sure the advice that you give is that you have to be absolutely brutally honest with that and not not just sort of try and dress it up oh, well you know they can do okay and they can you know they're not bad at doing this but actually to say they can't do this they can't do this without this support uh, they're unable to uh, do this without this support they they're not safe on their own outside of the house you know all the things that that really sort of tear at you as parents as you're writing it because with every line uh, you're you're writing the things that make your child different to everybody else's child that that you know and it's it's really tough for parents and so getting that support to help them to complete that that form uh, and to do it well and to do it you know honestly and well well but to 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 do it as brutally honestly as as they need to to make sure that they yeah uh, you know, get everything down and and meet the right thresholds for the support that they and their child are entitled to is so so important isn't
1: it it is it is mark that's a very good point you make um uh um, just to say that citizens' advice on their public site do have advice on how to complete a DLA form. Um, um, and they go through it by question by question, and they actually give you advice on how to complete it. Um, um, so that might be one thing that um, is useful for parents there. Uh, um, I agree. I mean, the ideal would be to see an advisor that could actually talk you through what's behind the questions. I think that, that that's the thing that... You know parents don't understand and and you can't expect them to understand the legal criteria for that and also they're dealing with a whole lot of other stuff and they may not be able to take it in um um, sort of anybody but the questions kind of make more sense if you understand what they're getting at in terms of what the qualifying conditions are but that isn't something that you can necessarily get your head around and some of the questions i get you have lost track of the amount of time um and I had parents said, "Well, why do I have to answer this question? Why do I have to put down the number of the minutes that I'm actually being asked to actually provide attention to my child?" There's a reason for that, but you wouldn't necessarily know what that is. Mm. And it is a, it, it is an incredibly long form. Also, just to say, it's, it, it um, um, as you said, Mark, it is it, very important to fill it in. Um, I'm actually carefully and not rush through it because if you want to challenge a decision further down the line and it comes to an appeal tribunal, for example, the appeal tribunal will have your claim form um, as part of the papers that, uh, that they're sent. Um, um, and they may well be asking you questions as, as to why you answered certain questions in a certain way. Um, so um, yes, yeah, so uh, uh, not only is the appeal form important to get the right decision in the first place, but also, if you're going to challenge the decision further down the line,
2: yeah, it's certainly important to make sure that the the form is filled in as thoroughly and as accurately and as well as possible, and and support can really help with that. And I think uh, you know we, uh, we we're looking at this uh, you know uh, forty page document, you know, and it's, it's vastness, uh, and you also have to think about uh, you know, families who. You know their their own. Uh, you know the the people filling in the form. Their their own. Uh, you know reading ability, writing ability may not be. Uh, you know so good in in some cases either. And 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 so having to to grapple with that. Uh, you know can can make it uh, harder as well. You know it's yeah. You know it's it's a challenge to 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 to, to complete. And uh, certainly, you know, I very much encourage families that uh, that are going through that process and of course it's not just a process that you do once you have to uh, you have to do it again and again there'll be uh, you know a, a period uh, that passes and then another um, floorboard splitting form comes through the letterbox again and, and you've got to do the whole thing uh, all over again so it's not a one-off uh, bit of work you've got to do so yeah getting getting that support certainly the first time you do it absolutely vital
1: yes it's just to reiterate that we do have help on that on um, our public web, uh, our website. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. Carlos, that's really good advice. And, and Mark, you know, I know lots of our uh, listeners who parents themselves will be listening, thinking, gosh, this sounds a lot of work. But actually, the encouragement from people that have been there is, uh, well, I mean, there's nothing like it. Carlos, let's go back to this phrase that you used when you were talking about a child's need being substantially in excess of a child of a similar age that doesn't have a disability you know that could lead parents to feel that the decision making is subjective and of course you know every child's disability is different and so it isn't possible to have a black and white approach but there's got to be some level of fairness in the decision making i don't know if you've got any thoughts of reassurance or sort of explain how that
1: decision making takes place um yes i mean um With many concepts to do with disability living allowance, the uh, the courts have been reluctant to give precise definitions. Um, And so substantially in excess, um, is not actually legally defined. Um, What I would say is important for parents is just to put down the needs of their child. Um, Obviously, if they can think uh, um, about what uh, a child's needs would be, if they didn't have a disability, they could perhaps think about what the uh, excess needs are. Now, that might be, for example, if they have other children, so they've got experience of of an undisabled child and at that age what their needs were. Um, If they're a single parent, for example, or it's their first child, they may not know that. What My advice would simply be to put that down, what the needs are, don't worry too much about being trying trying to make a case for substantial in excess unless you already know what the needs of a child would be that doesn't have a disability. Uh, but decision makers do uh, um, have guidance. For example, they uh, um, have guidance on what uh, um, the normal needs of a child would be with regard to um, uh, uh, um, certain milestones um, and that they reach. So they do have guidance with regard to that. So they ought to be able to judge whether those needs are substantially in excess.
2: And, and I think, Carlos, there's one thing that, uh, you know, you sort of were alluding to is, as you were uh, speaking there, that, that just sort of reminded me of the uh, the, the sense of a, a bit of a postcode lottery when it comes to the, uh, the way in which uh, families get access to the information they need about whether their child is developing uh, and, uh, normally, and maybe the issues they're experiencing are uh, a short term and are just a part of that development process, or whether they are linked to something uh, more long term, an additional need or disability of some kind. I know, in our case, James being two when he was diagnosed, uh, we're we're based down in Bournemouth on the south coast, uh, and uh, we got lucky with the postcode lottery, and uh, it was really helpful to get some certainty about what was going on with James at an early stage. But you know I meet lots of parents in different parts of the country who uh, have tried and struggled for years to get answers. They you know continually try to find out whether the the things that they've identified in their child are um, you know, something, diagnose- something diagnosable, something, that, uh, that that needs to be looked at, you know, medically, professionally in that way, uh, or whether it is still an ongoing developmental um, area, and, uh, and and it's hard to get those answers, and uh, you know, so therefore it's hard for uh, them to be able to engage with things like a DLA form where they don't have those criteria necessarily that uh, the uh, that, that the people that are reviewing those forms have. Uh, and so, yeah, they can be uh, open and honest about what they're writing, but they've got no benchmark to to, to apply that to. And so it, it does seem to vary from one part of the country to another as to how far down that process of getting some answers uh, families find themselves uh, uh, on their journey with their child.
1: Yes, that's a very good point, Mark. I mean, you, you've just actually brought to mind uh, um, a case that I dealt with, um, uh, which was... Um, Um, For memory, a child that was about three years old that had a heart condition um, and the child's language wasn't um, actually developing as it should. And the mother knew that because the mother had other children Um, and um, uh, the child also also had some um, behavioral problems. Um, uh, The mother knew that something wasn't right. She was in the process of trying to get a diagnosis for those conditions. The heart condition had been diagnosed, but not the other ones. But we still actually I mean, it was refused. DLA was refused. I can't remember the exact details, whether she got one component or should have got a high component. But but we appealed and we appealed successfully because, as I said, like when it comes to disability, you don't need a diagnosis. It's helpful if you do have a diagnosis, but you don't need one. You know, it stems stems from the extra care needs that your child has um, um, if they have a disability.
2: Yeah, because it's it's really easy to end up going down uh, cul de sacs if you know if we're not careful as families. I know when when James was uh, was two, you know, we, we I mentioned we got our older daughter Phoebe, and we we could see the developmental differences between uh, James and and the benchmarks that Phoebe had met. And first of all, we were you know sort of sucked into that idea that well, girls develop at a different rate to boys. Maybe it's because of that, uh, but things you know. Progressed and, and and that clearly wasn't the case. Uh, the uh, uh, the health visitors and so on, you know, they 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 were thinking that it might be a hearing issue, uh, and James had a, a hearing test which he failed spectacularly, uh, and and so we thought, oh, that's what it is, and you know, they were all just about to diagnose him with uh, a, a hearing issue uh, when it became clear that the day after he'd had his hearing test. Uh, He was showing symptoms of having a a really nasty ear infection. so, you know, we were about to square one again. And so, you know, eventually, another six months later, we we got uh, uh, the answers that we were looking for. But we could have filled in that form in different ways over that six-month period that would have been completely different in the kinds of responses we'd given, the kinds of levels that James would have met. Uh, And, uh, yeah, it was would have been very difficult for us to have been accurate with that. Once we got to that point where things were clear, we were then able to fill the paperwork in with some certainty. But yeah, there's there's a lot of uncertainty uh, that families can face when they're filling it in, which going back to what we were talking about earlier is why it's so helpful to get some uh, good professional advice.
0: And, and I guess the, the the message I'm I'm hearing in here is you know disabled uh, or disability living allowance is is a misnomer in a way because it's not about having a disability but it's also not about being disabled enough it's it's about you know where this child is and their presenting needs at that time and while the benchmarks of uh, children who may be developing typically or who don't have a disability are useful as a as a benchmark. It's, all, it's very much about the child uh, and yeah. where they are and what they need. Which
2: is, of course, why you have to fill it in time and time again. You know, you don't fill it in once and that's it. There's a period of few years and then you, you fill it in another time. And, and that's an update on, you know, where's your child at now? Uh, this new point in time. Uh, maybe there are some things that you wrote about first time that are now very different. They may have Uh, caught up in some ways they may have fallen behind in other ways and and so you're you're again providing a snapshot in time of what that child's situation is at that moment uh, that can then be assessed and uh, and so that's why it has to be uh, periodically renewed.
0: One of the things we often get asked Uh, on the phones by families applying to variety for support uh, is about changes that come into play when a child turns 16 and they're worried about changes to existing benefits will they need to apply again is it different has it all changed i don't know if you've got any reassurance that you could offer parents or some advice to navigate that
1: Yes, I mean, uh, when it comes to disability living allowance, for example, um, if a child is already in receipt of that, um, at some point after their 16th birthday, they will be um, invited to claim PIP. And that's basically um, an invite that you can't refuse because if you don't then claim PIP, um, uh, the disability uh, uh, living allowance will stop. PIP has completely different um, criteria uh, with regard to satisfying the disability conditions so it's not unusual for somebody to um uh, qualify for disability living allowance at certain rates and not to qualify for the uh, um, equivalent rates of pip or not indeed to qualify for pip at all as i said it is different uh, in how you qualify for pip so again get advice um and also challenge Um, any negative decisions that you may have if you have grants to do that. But it is a big transition, um, I think, at that stage. With regards to uh, um, to other benefits, you may continue to be entitled to your main means-tested benefits. You may continue to be entitled to child benefit and also child tax credit. They don't automatically stop when your child reaches 16.
2: And just to uh, sort of support that, really, the the, the change uh, from uh, Disability Living Allowance to Personal Independence Payments uh, yeah, can catch uh, some families out. But uh, absolutely endorse what Carlos was saying about the importance of engaging with that process, because otherwise the DLA will just stop. Uh, you know, for us, we uh, uh, completed James's paperwork, uh, you know, for him and with him, sent that off. Uh, and uh we uh you know as a as a positive shout out to the assessors uh, this time we we had a phone call from the um, from the assessors and my heart sank when the phone call came in i thought oh you know it's going to be hard but actually it was such a positive conversation and by the end of the conversation the assessor had actually increased the level of personal independence payment that james was entitled to so you know th- those guys get a lot of bad press uh, so it's important to put a shout out for uh, a positive experience there uh, as well but that that you know isn't the case for a lot of families and it's it's so important again you know we've been reinforcing this message right the way through to get good advice if you're confused about it make sure you're getting expert input and advice to make sure that you fill that form in as thoroughly and as accurately and as well as possible
0: Carlos, we talked a little bit about appeals, and uh, and I I think it might be helpful to just explore that a little bit. And, of course, if a a family puts in an application that's then declined, by the time the appeal comes around, they've probably got a whole other load of information because children grow and develop and needs change over time anyway. What what would be uh, your advice around appeals and what do parents really need to know about that?
1: Okay. the first thing they need to know is that if if you want to challenge the decision, like for almost all benefits um, for some time now, you need to apply for what's called um, a mandatory reconsideration first. Um, So that is to give the department um, another opportunity to look at that decision and to also potentially change it. Um, In many cases, the decision is not changed, but you won't have the right of appeal unless you ask for a mandatory reconsideration first. Now, you have a month in which to do that, but it's important to know um, also that the time limit can be extended for up to 13 months. So you may be juggling with a load of stuff at the moment. Don't worry if you miss the month time limit, Uh, because there was a legal test case that said it doesn't matter uh, what the reason was um, if you miss the month time limit, provided you get a mandatory reconsideration in within the absolute time limit of 13 months, that's okay. So that's the first step, is to go through the mandatory reconsideration process. The actual decision may be changed at that stage. Um, Even if it is changed, um, but you still don't think you've got the correct rates, then um, what you can do is actually um, um, still appeal uh, uh, that decision. It's important to say as well, too, that appeals do take some time to be heard. But when you get to the Appeal Tribunal, the appeal will be looking at what your child's condition was like at the date the decision was made. So anything that's happened after that date of decision, for example, if your child's got better or if the child's got worse, can't be taken into account. So that's the other thing to remember. They're looking at what the circumstances are kind of frozen in time at the date that the DWP made the decision. So that will be what the tribunal will be looking like. If you have to go to a tribunal, tribunals are informal. Um, You can um, try and get a professional representative if you can, but it's not necessary. Tribunals are used to people um, actually turning up on their own. Um, What the tribunal wants to know from you, because they don't want to see the child, uh, what they want to know from you as the carer um, is what the child's needs are, and they'll be trying to fit that into the legal criteria and that they will themselves know. Um, So they want to hear your verbal evidence. As I said before, it's very important to make sure that the form has actually been uh, filled in correctly from the start because they will also be referring to what you put down on the form. It's also important to submit any further evidence that you can like any um, notes from your GP, any specialist consultant reports. I know they can be difficult to actually get so, but if you can submit any evidence to do that with that, any evidence for example um, of other family members that may need uh, uh, that may actually know about the care needs of your child, any extra evidence that you can actually submit to back up your case will also be. And Carlos, when when thinking about that appeal
2: process, um, do you have a, an idea of how you know what kind of percentage of appeals are upheld? Because uh, that would be really interesting to uh, to, to to share with, with folk listening, with the families listening.
1: Um, I can't remember the exact figures, Mark, but I believe, um, for example, with some benefits, the uh, rate of successful appeals is quite extraordinary. I don't know the particular figures for disability living allowance, but probably off the top of my head, I would hazard that something like at least 50% of DLA uh, appeals are successful, either in terms of getting... And I'm uh, uh, um, going from nil um, to an award or getting an increased award. Wow.
2: Which is extraordinary, isn't it? You know, if it's at least half of, of those cases that are appealed uh, are upheld, uh, then, uh, yeah, you know, it, it again just shows that there is uh, there's more that families can do if they get the right advice in, in the first place uh, to be able to uh, put the best quality uh, form in, document in uh, when they're they're first uh, applying. You know, getting that right at that early stage could maybe avoid having to go through that appeals process later.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Although it is true to say as well too that the tribunal um, um, are probably um, more skilled in making decisions with regard to the legal requirements um, uh, um, than a decision maker uh, uh, might be. But also they have the benefit of, Hearing the verbal evidence um, from the carer themselves, which can make an awful lot of difference as well at the tribunal stage.
0: We've talked a lot about uh, disability living allowance. I wonder, Carlos, if uh, you might just highlight for our listeners other benefits that they might be eligible for, and that maybe you know people that are drawing DLA may also commonly apply
1: for as well. Yes, indeed. Um, uh, um, somebody um, um, that is caring for a disabled child might be entitled to a range of benefits, um, in particular carer's allowance, but entitlement to carer's allowance depends on the child being uh, um, awarded um, a certain rate of disability living allowance. For example, the child has to be awarded at least the middle or the highest rate of the care component for that person then to qualify for carer's allowance. Um Unfortunately, carer's allowance is taken into income for other means-tested benefits, so that won't necessarily make you better off. But um, if if you're entitled to carer's allowance, you can get an extra amount in those means-tested benefits, for example, income support, um, and uh, um, also uh, with regards to universal credit as well, too. So it won't make you better off getting the carer's allowance as such. You will still see an increase in your benefits if you're entitled to those
0: brilliant uh, and it can often i think seem to parents that it's just one more thing And know if it's not going to draw me anything immediately when well, i've got a million other things to be putting my time and attention to why would i bother and actually the message is very much this could have a longer term and more useful impact by having that approved even though it may not translate to burn in your pocket straight away
1: yes yes definitely yeah
0: yeah, you mentioned- I, would,
2: I would agree with that. I think uh, you know it's um, it's a good uh, it, it's a good habit to get into to 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 be looking for these things and to make sure that you're applying for them as a parent. Um, but yeah, you know it, you also don't know if your own circumstances might change, uh, and if you've been through the process, for example, for carer's allowance, uh, and it might be that you're not getting much out of it uh, now. But, hey, you know, the the world we're in today and uh, situations changing, people's incomes are being cut. There's all kinds of uh, changes to people's financial circumstances that are happening. It could be that having got ahead of the game and and got um, the the carers allowance uh, process completed might mean that that element could increase uh, should people's income subsequently come down as a result of, uh, you know the, the the pandemic that we're in, and the changes in people's employment and uh, and so
1: on uh, that uh, that that's brought with it. Yes, indeed. Um, and it's worth pointing out though that um, a carers allowance is not means tested as such, um, but you won't be entitled um, if you have earnings from employment or self employment that are more than 128 pounds a week. Yeah, exactly. So you know if.
2: If people are, are finding that their uh, their employment is is under threat, that maybe uh, you know as a result of all the uh, you know the, the, the issues of the last few months and the next few months, uh, they might be earning less than that now. Uh, uh, then clearly having uh, you know the carer's allowance in place uh, could you know in some way help to to offset some of the uh, losses they might experience in in other income. Yes, definitely.
0: We talked a lot, actually, about the recent pandemic, and we've alluded to this um, impending sort of recession and lots of families still going to struggle financially. Carlos, I appreciate this may be an impossible ask, but is there a sort of brief summary of of income-related benefits that give people a sort of starting point, if that is also something that is now new to them?
1: Um, That's a very good point, Dave, because um, there will be parents that... um, Uh, might have to claim um, means-tested benefits for the first time because of um, uh, 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 the result of the pandemic um, actually losing their jobs. Um, So, I mean, obviously they're um, not going to be used to this. Um, Basically, the only show in town with regard uh, to means-tested benefits now um, is universal credit. Universal credit replaces six of the older type benefits, which are now uncalled legacy benefits. So, for example, you can't make a new claim with a very limited exception. Um, You can't make new claims, for example, income support, which you would have been able to do as a carer in the past. You can't make claims for income-based job seekers allowance, income-related employment support allowance. You can't make a new claim for housing benefit for help with your rent. You can't make a new claim for child tax credit, for example. All of these benefits are now subsumed uh, within universal credit. So your first point of call for a new claim might have to be universal credit. If you're already on any existing benefit, for example, tax credits, um, and you lose your job, you might find then, for example, that your working tax credit will stop after four weeks. You could continue to be entitled to child tax credit. Um, You need to think very carefully about whether you need to make a claim for universal credit because... um, Um, as that's a means-tested benefit. If, for example, you have savings of over £16,000, you won't be entitled to universal credit. But purely by making a claim for universal credit, your child tax credit could stop. So, I mean, my advice would be that it may be um, that you're thinking of making a claim um, for universal credit because that's the only uh, new means-tested benefit you can claim. But to get advice, again, from Citizens Advice, you make that claim if you think you may not be entitled
0: yeah really helpful advice it's the last thing you need uh, as a uh, as an unintended consequence of trying to
1: do something positive
0: you you lose that child tax credit mark you know as a parent you must have had contact with lots of other families who have lots of other stories you know are there common themes that you would draw out of their experiences just as we wrap up this episode to encourage families as they uh, sort of get stuck into some of this?
2: Yeah, I guess the, the, the common themes uh, really are um, you know, typically, uh, I, I guess I've come across two kinds of families, um, you know, families that uh, have Taking the choice to to get stuck into it, to get the advice, to get the support, uh, and uh, to fight hard, and they've sometimes had to fight hard to get the benefits that they and their child are entitled to, and they've known that it's going to be a struggle, but they've, you know, they've decided that the the you know, the outcome of this is worth it, and it is, you know, to to get um, that extra financial support that's going to uh, allow you to be able to. Get the things that you need to support your child to give access to the opportunities uh, that uh, are going to make a difference for your child. It's absolutely worth it. Uh, but you know, there are there are some parents who just find that a struggle too far, and you know, there are there are families that sort of fall off the off the radar a bit and uh, and uh, give up. And uh, and so you know, my encouragement if if that's you listening to this, don't give up. Reach out for help. Uh, find support through Citizens Advice Bureau or, or other local support agencies or parent networks or, you know, just just reach out and uh, and give it another go. Because actually the, uh, the, the the real benefit, you know, we're talking about benefits, the real benefit is actually seeing um, you know your child thriving and having access to uh, the support, the resources, the equipment that they need. Uh, to be able to cope well, uh, to to get the right care they need, to get the right mobility support they need, to to be able to engage with the world as actively and as fully as possible. You know, it's absolutely worth it. Uh, and so, yeah, my encouragement would be for families that that might be feeling that they've tried it and it just was a brick wall and they were struggling um, to give it another go. Uh, you know, and, and uh, Carlos and his. His folk at Citizens Advice Bureau are a great place to start, but there's, you know, there are other options out there to um, you know, look for them, find them, chat to other parents, ask them where they've been for help, uh, and, and give it another try. because the, yeah, the, the benefits are definitely worth getting.
0: So let's talk about the CARE Act for a minute and the impact that that has had on the way that financial support can be accessed, particularly in the sort of last five years or so. Mark, what are personal budgets and direct payments, and do you find these helpful? Yeah, so uh, we
2: uh, have had direct payments to uh, support uh, James for a while now, and particularly uh, those have been in place uh, to provide uh, carer support. Uh, Both myself and my wife work, and there are times when James is uh, home and can't be left on his own, so uh, he needs carer support. Uh, And so we've engaged with the direct payments process. Uh, It's not easy. It's hard to get your head around it. Uh, we had a couple of uh, carers lined up who are friends of ours, people we know, uh, that were willing to come and support James and, uh, and you know, receive uh, uh, payment for, for doing that. Uh, we, as, as, as parents, then had to become employers. Uh, so we had to go through the process of uh, you know, registering with the uh, Inland Revenue, with the HMRC, uh, getting insurance in place, uh, getting a payroll provider signed up now we got some support and help with that from the local authority they were good at pointing us in the direction of the people that we needed to engage with but it was quite a mind shift for us uh, from a, a place of well we just thought we had a couple of folk that we knew that we could uh, pay to support James when we were out of the house to actually you know referring to them uh, as as you know as, as uh, paid carers and employer employing them, giving them a pay slip each month, uh, registering you know their tax and, and all of that. So there was a lot to get our heads around, uh, but we did get the right support in place to uh, enable that to happen. Uh, and yeah, global pandemics aside, it's been working quite smoothly.
0: Good, yeah, really pleased to hear. Carlos, do you have any final things you want to add for, for our listeners?
1: Um, I would say, um, that um, when you come to deal with the benefit system, it's not you. The benefit system is incredibly complex, and it it can be really difficult to work out in your situation what are the combination of benefits that you may be entitled to, because they all have different qualifying conditions. Um, With regards to universal credit, it simplified that in a sense by rolling up six benefits into one. Um, But unfortunately, universal credit itself is not a simple benefit either. Um, so, I mean, as Mark was saying as well, too, I think it's really important to draw in as much support as you can. Obviously, Citizens Advice is there to help. We have a public website, which hopefully uh, our parents and carers will find useful. Uh, but don't be daunted, please. And, and maybe just to chip in one
2: uh, one other thought uh, on this as well. We've, we've been talking a lot about disability living allowance and benefits that are available um, you know, nationally, but there are uh also benefits that you can uh access locally as well from your own local authority things like direct payments for uh support uh and for care uh, and so on as well we we've, we've not really touched on that this time but uh you know there's there, there's loads out there there's grants that you can access for equipment uh there's there's lots of ways in which families can access financial support Uh, and uh, you know it's being savvy as parents it's it's speaking with other parents and identifying what what those options are what what those funding streams are and and you know having those conversations and then then getting stuck in so yeah don't don't just limit yourself to the 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 sort of nationally available central government benefits but think about what you can get from your local authority what you can get from grant making uh, trusts and funds uh, as well because there are a world of options out there for families.
0: Mark, that's a, a brilliant point. We've barely even scratched the surface on some of the benefits that we have talked about, let alone uh, other charities that are there for support, as you say, local authority, direct payments, all uh, good stuff. And, and you'll find some links to some of those below uh, where you're downloading this podcast from. Uh, and we hope to pick up some of those in other future episodes. So so the message from today is... is talk to people talk to your local authority don't shy away from picking up that phone from from asking for their advice and help you know talk to uh, organizations like citizen advice bureau there are other organizations out there like Contact have a helpline and provide loads of useful information Uh, family funds can offer a lot of advice particularly around grant funding variety also off we offer grant funding for equipment and uh, advice as part of our services there um, and talk to family friends support networks and it's really you know as hard as that is and Mark, you talked earlier about opening up your story and putting that on the line but the more you can do that actually the more you may find you can get back uh, financially but actually that emotional support to drive through what is a real roller coaster uh, as your child's needs grow and evolve and, and benefits do as well. Uh, Carlos and Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you both. Uh, thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to this episode of Podability, brought to you by Variety, the children's charity. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. You can find us on iTunes by searching for Variety Podability, where you can rate, review and subscribe to the series.